Each Sunday at Taproot, we read the Bible out loud and receive the preaching of the Bible as an act of worship to Jesus. Today I'll be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. After the reading of God's word, I will proclaim this is the word of the Lord, and I would invite you to respond prayerfully, speak, Lord, your servants here. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Please take your seats. Hey, church, good morning. Hope you guys had a great Christmas. Just one person had a good Christmas? Sweet. Uh, hey, uh, any Seattle Seahawks fans out there today? You guys got the best Christmas present of all time. Yeah, those of you who know, Marshawn Lynch coming back, big deal. We'll see what happens. I don't really care, but, uh, but, I, but I just want to... I just want to see how it goes down. Now, if you think you have a bad Sunday ahead, I have a terrible Sunday ahead. I'm depending on the Giants to beat anybody to get into the playoffs. So it'll be tough. So anyway, if this is your first time with us, welcome to Taproot. Uh, I'm, uh, my name is Luis, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, again, if, if this is your first time visiting us, welcome to our church. On the back of uh, the chairs, you'll find a welcome card. If you can, please grab it now and fill that out for us. And then when you leave, stop by the welcome bus in the foyer and drop it off. We would love to shake your hand and answer any questions that you might have. I'll let you know about our uh, home gatherings or other things. And again, welcome to our church. Uh, Well, today is the last Sunday of the year. Pretty crazy, huh? And really, more than that, today is the last Sunday of the decade. Unreal. I started the decade living in Texas. Early on, I moved to Oregon, and I'm finishing the decade in Seattle. What the, the Lord has a funny way of, of moving and doing things. So it's been a great, great 10 years, but it's, it's pretty, pretty unreal that one more year is, is over. But with that said, also, let me be the first one to say to you, hopefully, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. A couple things to look forward to in the next few weeks on our uh, Sunday gathering to, 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 wrap, to start the year we are going to do just that. We're going to take a pause on our Colossians series, and we're going to do a three-week series on prayer. We're going to walk through the Lord's Prayer together. Then we're going to jump back into our Colossians series. We've got about six sermons left. We're going to wrap that up, and then we're going to jump into one of the Gospels after that. So it's going to be a great year. Uh, look forward to all of that. Then also, if you can, mark your calendars for Sunday, January the 19th in the evening. We're going to do a uh, Vision Sunday, and I promised Pastor Will that we are not going to do any weird themes like Vision 2020 or something like that, so don't, uh, 
don't, don't worry. We, we won't do that, okay? But we do, we do want to just share with you uh, some of the things that we sense the Lord is, is uh, uh, how he's leading us for this upcoming year. So we'll get all the details out to you here soon. Now, for this morning, uh, as you could tell, we were not in the book of Colossians also. And, and this morning, you know, it seems to be a, a, great, a great Sunday to share with you some things that have been pretty heavy on my heart for a few months now. And, and personally, I really have been sensing the Lord uh, burdening me and, 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 in a sense, inviting me to become a person who is who is desperate in prayer. Now, I pray. Yes, I pray. Don't, don't be like, oh, no. I do pray. But, I, but I, I sense that God is asking me to be more deliberate, more intentional, and more purposeful in my prayers. Prayers for my family. Prayers for uh, me personally. Prayers for the church. Prayers for our community. And yes, I am burdened about this personally in my soul, but I, I'm also burdened about this for us as a church. I uh, was checking Twitter this morning, and Jackie Hill Perry tweeted this out. She said, the only regret I have about this decade is that I didn't pray more during it. And, and I, I don't want that to say, I don't, want, I don't want to be able to say that about myself or about us. So this morning, all, all that I want to do is I want to share with you some, some encouragement to pray from Matthew 7. I'm not going to talk about the mechanics or any of that. I just want to talk with you about the why. Why should we pray? How does Jesus encourage us to pray? Pretty, pretty simple and straightforward. Is that cool with you all? Now, let me, let me start with this. Blank statement here, but getting an invitation now, this may sound from left side, but getting an invitation, whether to a dinner, a get-together, a party, an event, a reunion, is a special thing. And the reason why it is special, the reason why invitations mean something is because whoever invited you to whatever they did, it means that they want to be with you. They want to spend some time with you. They want to share a moment with you. They want to enjoy your company. So invitations are a special thing, and it's, it's a cool thing. Now, I remember when I realized, I, I remember the moment I realized how important invitations are. And that moment was 13 years ago when I got married. Okay, I had no clue how expensive invitations were going to be. I had no idea. I had no idea the time that it would uh, steal from my life to get these invitations ready. You have to select the paper, the weight, the gloss. I don't really care about paper or weight or gloss, but suddenly I cared very deeply about these things, right? We had to have uh, the color and the invitations match our, our wedding colors. And then we, we sent them out. And of course, because my last name has about every letter in the alphabet, something was spelled incorrectly. So then we had to redo the whole thing again. Then we finally get them back. And Amanda wants to tie these bows on top of the invitations. And I'm like, okay, honey, we'll, we'll, we'll tie these bows. And so here we spent the next decade tying these bows, you know, on the invitations. Then finally, we stuff, we seal. And Amanda has this other great idea, which I was all for it. She said, can we handwrite the names for all the, all the uh, people we're inviting to on the envelope? And for some reason, I was the one who was designated as the writer. 
So here I am writing names for like, you know, 200 people by hand. And I'm thinking, how did I, what, what have I done? Then, then you send them out, you have to stamp them, all that stuff. And then you wait for them to return, the, the, the beloved RSVPs, right? And then you got you to gotta make a list, prepare the seating arrangements, and it's unreal. But I realize that invitations are a big deal. And it's only gotten worse. We live in 2019 for a few more days now, but now you have to have the, the, the photo shoot for Instagram. You have to have the photo shoot for the, for the save the dates. And you got to go through the whole ordeal with those things before you ever send the invitations. It's crazy. Why would we put ourselves through this torture? <laughs> Finally, you get to send the invites. And again, it is, it is a big deal. My point stands true. Invitations are important. A wedding, like for example is an incredibly special moment. So when you get invited to a wedding, it's saying something. Out of all the people we could have invited, we wanted you to be there to share that special once-in-a-lifetime moment. Now ask yourself this. Think of, think of all the things you've ever been invited to. A dinner party, a birthday party, a wedding, prom, church maybe, think of all the things that you've ever been invited to, what is the most special invitation that you've ever received? It could, be, it could be a lot of things, but think about that. What is the most special invitation that you've ever received? Well, I want to suggest that in our scripture for this morning, we are going to find an invitation like no other. And when you when you read the text we just heard, and you pause, and you pause to consider that God, who is infinitely strong and can do whatever he wants, when you, when you take a moment to consider that God, who is infinitely righteous so that he only does what is right, and that God is infinitely good, so that everything he does is perfectly good. And that he is infinitely wise, so that he always knows what is perfect and right and good. And that he is infinitely loving, so that everything he does is for our good. When you take a moment to consider the magnitude of that, then when he invites you and me, to ask him for good things with the promise that we will receive them. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. Now, before we go any further, full disclosure here. Dedicated time for prayer. Intentional, deliberate, purposeful time for prayer has always been an area of growth for me. I pray as I go throughout my day, and that is a good thing. But, but this intentional habit of grace has always been something that I've, that I've struggled with and that I need growth in. And I, I, I think that I may not be the only one in the room that can say or agree to that statement. And what I am not trying to do this morning is I am not trying to shame us or, or guilt trip us into praying more. That is not my desire. 
But, but I do find it, at least in my life, perplexing that the greatest invitation in the world is offered to us. And for some reason, myself included, we regularly turn away to other things. So my hope, my, my heart, my prayer for this time together is that God would somehow in his sovereignty, in his goodness, and in his power would use me in this message, his words in Matthew 7 to awaken in me and in our church a new inclination to pray. Now let, me, let me share with you a couple stories that I've read this week that have really... Um, uh, made me think about and, and consider the power of prayer. Let me read two stories for you real quick. 1727, in a place called Hernhut, Germany, with the people called the Moravians. These guys started this corporate prayer movement, about 300 refugees. And this, this corporate prayer uh, season with 300 people started and brought forth this awakening and revival marked by great hunger for Jesus and his word. Everyone in this town desired above everything else that the Holy Spirit would have full control over their lives. And this brought forth a night and day prayer movement which lasted a hundred years. A hundred years of continual non-stop prayer. In this this began the first systematic sending of missionaries around the world to make disciples of Jesus. People praying together for a hundred years, night and day, nonstop. Look at this. The second story is unbelievable. In 1949, in a place called the Hebrides Islands in Scotland, two aged sisters, Christine and Peggy Smith, were praying night and day. Their prayers encouraged and fanned a flame that stirred six or seven men to pray in a barn three nights a week from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. All of this praying culminated in a visit from preacher Duncan Campbell to Lewis Islands of the Hebrides. The night of his arrival, they asked him to speak for a short while at 9 p.m. to about 300 people in a church. The meeting went on to about 11 p.m. And when he closed the meeting, they walked outside and he was astonished to find hundreds more outside of the church. While he and the team were speaking to the crowd, someone came up and told them he had to go to the police station. That's not good news, right? He asked, what happened? What is wrong? To which he was told that there were about 400 people gathered around the police station confessing their sins, crying out for mercy, and the police did not know what to do with them. As he walked up about a mile up a dirt road to the police station, he heard cries from people laying in the ditches, calling out to God in brokenness for his mercy all night, all over the island. This same response was breaking out. I have no register in my brain for something like this. And before you get nervous, okay? (laughs) Because the word revival and awakening conjures weird things in our minds. Before you go there, listen, I am a Bible guy. I am a Jesus guy. I'm a gospel guy. So don't be nervous. At the same time, 
I do long for awakening. I do long for revival. I do long for renewal in our souls, in in marriages that are struggling, in individuals that are are trapped in sin. I, I long for this for our community. I long for this for our home gatherings. I desire for this for our jobs, in our gyms, in our stores, in the coffee house, down the street, king and kingdom coming type of things to happen. I long for that. And I am convinced that we're going to see that happen as we pray. So again, my hope, my prayer for this morning is that somehow God would use this message, his words from Matthew 7 to awaken in us a new inclination to pray. So let's look at our text, encouragements for prayer from Jesus himself. Why should we pray? How does Jesus himself encourages us to pray? Okay, look at your Bibles, Matthew 7. In our text, three times, Jesus himself invites us to pray. That's the first encouragement. Why should we pray? Jesus himself invites you and me to pray. Or really, three times, Jesus himself commands us to pray, to ask him for what we need. And it is the number of times he says this that should get our attention. Look at verses 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be open. And he, so Jesus here, he says this one time. He says, ask. He says, seek. He says, knock. And then he repeats it again. And when he repeats these three things, it is, it is much stronger And the repetition in the text really is saying this to you and me. I mean this. Christian, disciple of Jesus, follower of Christ, Jesus means this. He wants you to do this. Jesus is saying, ask your father for what you need. Seek your father for his help. Knock on the door of your father's house so that he will open it for you and give you what you need. So Jesus says three times, ask, seek, and knock. I invite you three times because I really, really, really want you to enjoy your Father's help. I want you to commune with God in prayer. So that's the first encouragement. Jesus himself is inviting us, his people, to pray, to connect with God. The second encouragement is this. Jesus makes some incredible promises to us if we pray. The promises God makes, if we pray, are an encouragement to prayer. Jesus invites us and then again makes these fantastic promises. Again, verses 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And then at the end of verse 11, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In three verses, seven promises. It will be given to you. You will find. 
It will be opened to you. The asker receives, the seeker finds, the one who knocks gets an open door. Your father will give you good things. And I am sure that the point of all of these promises is to say to us, be encouraged to come. Pray to him. It is not in vain that you pray. God is not messing with you. He, he listens and he answers. He gives you good things when you pray. Be encouraged to come. Yesterday, my, my daughter Lenny was playing with some slime. You guys know what slime is? Anybody? Okay. She's playing with some slime and she lost the lid to her slime thing, you know, her, the cap to her. You know what I'm talking about. And she was devastated. Because it was going to dry up. And she says to me, Daddy, we got to find my, the cap to the slime. And I'm like half awake. Okay, baby. You know? And so she says, okay, Dad, I prayed to Jesus to help us. And again, she's six. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. And so I, you know, moved some things around the couch. And then she says, I found it. He helped me. And the point is this. The confidence of a child to say, he heard me. He, he listens to me. That was refreshing for me. So, he makes some incredible promises to say to us, come, be encouraged. Pray often, pray regularly, and more than anything, pray with confidence. Pray with confidence. The third encouragement is this. Listen to this Line from the text, everyone who asks, receives. Jesus wants to encourage your prayers. He wants to encourage you to be a person who prayers by making it explicit that everyone who asks will receive. Not just some will receive. Verse 8 says this, for everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, Finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So when Jesus adds the word everyone in verse 8, he wants really to overcome our, our hesitancy. Anybody ever been hesitant in prayer? Or timid in prayer? Or, or shy in prayer? And the thought is this. This prayer thing is going to work for the person next to me, but not for me. I've had those thoughts. So Jesus is saying, no, listen, come, everyone who seeks, finds, those who ask, get what they're asking for. Now to clarify, here Jesus is talking to those who have trusted in him and have put their faith in him for salvation. Therefore, they have become children of God, adopted into God's family. He's not talking to all people. He's talking to followers of Jesus. That is who these promises are for. So if you are a follower of Christ, this promise is for you. Everyone, every follower of Jesus who seeks will find. Those who ask will receive. Those who knock, they will have the door open to them. That's incredible. Everyone. The point here is that none of his children will ever be excluded. All are welcome. 
all are urged to come. Martin Luther saw the way Jesus is motivating us here, and he said this. This is on the screen, I think. Uh, He knows that we are timid and shy, that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. Anybody ever felt that way? We think that God is so great, and we are so tiny, that we do not dare to pray. That is why Christ wants to lure us away from such timid thoughts, to remove our doubts, and to have us go ahead confidently and boldly. So Christian, follower of Jesus, everyone who seeks, finds. Let that encourage you. Let that encourage you. Fourth encouragement, simple. We are coming to our Father. We are coming to our Father. When we come to God through Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are coming to our Father. Chase mentioned something like this in his prayer. We are not speaking to our boss. We are not speaking to the coach. We are not speaking to a general. We are speaking to our Father. Verse 11 says this, If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? And Father is not just this label for God. It is one of the greatest of all truths. The God of heaven, the God of heaven who when He saved us could have made us His his little minions. He made us His children. He is our Father. And the implications here are that He will never, listen, He will never, ever, ever give you something that is bad for you. Why? Because the Father loves you. Because the Father is good. So the encouragement to come and pray is that God is our Father. The fatherhood of God should encourage our prayers. The next encouragement is is related. Our Heavenly Father is better than our earthly fathers. Jesus encourages us to pray by showing us that God, the Father, is better than all of us earthly fathers and will far more certainly give good things to us than they do or did. There is no darkness, there is no sin, there is no evil in our heavenly Father like there is in our earthly fathers. That is Blunt, and that is maybe tough to swallow, but it is true. That is true about my fathering. I am far from perfect. And I need Jesus on the daily, minute by minute, because there is darkness in my soul, but not in Him. Verse 11 again, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? We know and should be aware. And Jesus for sure knew that our fathers, that we are sinful. So Jesus goes beyond the encouragement of just saying to you and me that God is our Father. And He says that God will always be better than our earthly fathers. Because all earthly fathers will fall short. And God will never do that. Now, listen, I grew up without a dad. And um, 
the men that came into my life uh, who were pursuing my mom were not the greatest examples of what a, a role model, godly person should be. There's a lot of trauma there. And, and surely that there is maybe some of you who have a similar experience. Listen, don't ever limit your understanding of the fatherhood of God to your experience of your own father. Rather, take heart that God has none of the sins and the limitations and the weaknesses and the hang-ups of our fathers. And the point Jesus makes is this. Even sinful fathers, even fallen fathers, usually have the common sense to give good things to their kids. I know that there are terribly abusive fathers in this world. But in most places of the world, fathers are jealous for the good of their kids. Even, even when they are unclear about what is good for them. But God is always better. In Him there is no evil. Therefore, the argument that Jesus is making is strong. If your earthly father will give you good things, or even if he doesn't give you good things, how much more will your heavenly father give good things? And the answer is always good things to those who ask. One more related encouragement for prayer. He made us his children. Here is an implicit encouragement from the text. God will give us good things as his children because he has already given us the gift of being his sons and daughters. St. Augustine said this, For what would he not now give to sons when they ask, when he has already granted this very thing, namely, that they might be sons, that they might be daughters? Being a son of God is a gift we receive when we come to Jesus and put our trust in him. So if God has freely, without cost, made us sons and daughters, how much more will he give us what we need? And the last encouragement for prayer is this. The final encouragement is the cross. Implicit in the words of Jesus is the cross as the foundation for all the answers to our prayers. The reason is because he calls us evil, yet he says we are children of God. How can it be that evil people are adopted by a good and holy and righteous and perfect God? How can we presume to be children, let alone ask and expect to receive and seek and expect to find and knock and expect the door to be open? And Jesus throughout the Gospels answers this several times. In Matthew 20, he said, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life to ransom us from the wrath of God and put us in the position of children who only receive good things. In Matthew 26, Jesus said at the Last Supper, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Because of the blood of Jesus, our sins are forgiven when we trust him. This is why, even though Jesus calls us evil, we can be the children of God and count on him to give us good things when we ask him. 
So the death of Jesus is the foundation for all the promises of God. And the answers to prayer that we ever get. This is why we say in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers. Because everything depends on Him. So, seven encouragements to pray from the text. Five explicit to implicit. Now, there is a challenge with these words from Jesus. And here is a big question that we have to answer. And the question is this. Does this mean that everything a child of God asks for, he will get? Anybody wondered or wondering that question right now? Does that mean that if I ask God for a new Tesla pickup truck, I will have it? Now, that'd be cool. But is that what that means? No. We do not get everything we ask for. So just, just bear with me. And we shouldn't get, and we should not want to get everything we ask for. The reason is, the reason I say that we should not desire this is because we would in a way become God if God did everything we asked him to do. We, I should not be God. We should not be God. God should be God. And the reason I say that we would not want to get everything we ask for is because we would then have to bear the burden of infinite wisdom, which at least I don't have. I simply, we simply don't know enough to infallibly decide how every decision will turn out. What the next events in our lives will be, let alone history, should be. And the reason I say that we do not get all that we ask is because the text implies this. Jesus says in verses 9 through 10, that a good father will not give his child a stone if he asks for bread and will not give him a serpent if he asks for a fish. So this illustration should make you ask, well, what if the child asks for a serpent? That would be my kid. Does the text answer whether the father in heaven will give it? And the answer is yes. Yes, it does. In verse 11, Jesus pulls out this truth from the illustrations. Therefore, how much more will your father give good things to those who ask him? So the answer is he gives good things. Only good things. So when a child asks for a serpent, he will not give a serpent to a son or a daughter. Therefore, the, the text itself points to the conclusion that ask and, and you will receive does not mean ask and you will receive the very thing you ask for when you ask for it in the way you ask for it. That's not what that means. That's not what it says. And if we take this text as a whole, it says that when you and I ask and when you and I seek and knock, when we pray as needy children looking away from ourselves and our own resources to our trustworthy heavenly Father, He will hear us and He will give us good things. Sometimes just what we ask for. Sometimes just when you ask for it. Sometimes just the way you desire in other times, he will give you something better. Or at a time he knows is better, or in a way that he knows is better. And this will test our faith. 
Because if we thought that something different was better, we would have asked for it in the first place. But we are not God. We are not infinitely strong or righteous or infinitely good or infinitely wise or infinitely loving. And therefore, it is a great mercy to us and to the world that we do not get everything we ask for. Just to finish this sermon, because context is important. The text we just looked at is at the tail end of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount being a very specific way, a narrow way that leads to flourishing, a very specific way to live as disciples, as apprentices, as students of Jesus. And here is the type of life that we are, we are confronted with in this Sermon on the Mount. Here is here's the, the, the way of Jesus. How should we live as disciples? A way of forgiveness, a way of peace, a way of being a non-anxious presence, a way that is not lustful, a way that is not angry, a way of justice, a way of life together in community, a way of generosity. In living that way is difficult, is it not? The standard which, with which the Sermon on the Mount confronts us with should make us say, how can anybody live up to this? How can anybody live like Jesus? Well, we need help in grace. And here is the answer. Ask, seek, knock. And we should thank God for this connection because when we stand face to face with the glorious gospel of Jesus, we must all feel undone and unworthy. We should ever be aware of our need that we desperately need grace and mercy. And again, here is the answer to the supply that is always available. Ask, seek, and knock. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. This is not on the screen, but here's what he said. Asking and seeking and knocking does not mean that if we ask for anything we like, we will get it. What it means is this. Ask for any of these things that are good for you. The salvation of your soul. The preaching of the gospel. You're conforming to Jesus' likeness. Anything that brings you nearer to God and enlarges your life and is thoroughly good for you, and He will give it to you. He will give you these things that are good for you. And the promise literally is this, that if we seek these good things, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the life of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., all these virtues and glories that were seen shining so brightly in the earthly life of Jesus, He will give them to us. If we really want to be more like Him and like all the saints, if we really ask for these things, we shall receive. If we seek them, we shall find them. And if we knock, the door shall be opened unto us and we shall enter into their possession. The promise is that if we ask for good things, our Heavenly Father will give them to us. John Piper said this, Prayer causes things to happen that wouldn't happen if we didn't pray. Remember that prayer is a humane, a human act. It is a human act that God has ordained in which he delights in because it reflects the dependence of his creatures upon him. God has promised to you that he will respond to you into your prayers. 
And his response is as contingent upon our prayer as our prayer is in accordance to his will. First John says this, and this is the confidence which we have. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. When we don't know how to pray according to God's will, but desire his will earnestly, the spirit of God intercedes on our behalf according to the will of God. In other words, he will see that all those prayers are prayed, which he has promised to respond to. So even our prayers are a gift from the one who works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So church, how eager should we be to spend much time in prayer? Let me leave you with this thought from Tim Keller. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. So don't give up. Don't forfeit any blessings because we don't ask, because we don't seek, because we don't knock. Blessings for yourself, for your family, for our church, for our community, for our nation, and for the world around us. So my encouragement for you, my challenge for myself, for us as a church, I encourage you to make this new year a year where we become a desperate people in prayer. Where we, we, we make prayer an intentional and deliberate and purposeful thing. Knowing that when we pray, he will listen, he will answer, and he will always give us good things. That is good news. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the confidence we have that when we come to you, you hear us. You don't say, come back later. You don't say, not now. You don't say, I'm busy. But when we come as your children to our Father, you hear us. You listen to us. You are attentive to our prayers. Thank you for the confidence that when we do not know what to pray, your Spirit helps us. Thank you for the promises that you make. If we pray, thank you that you've made us your children. And that as your children and you as our Father, you want only what is best for us. So, Father, my prayer is again, I, I pray that it wouldn't come from the, 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 that our desire to pray would not come from shame or guilt or trying to, to twist your arm or, or checking off some box on a list. But I pray that our, 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 our desire to pray and to commune with you and to connect with you would, would be birthed out of, out of love for you out of a desire to, to be with you, 
out of, out of, out of trust in you, and ultimately because of the gospel. I pray that this year would be a year where, where our friendship with our Father God would deepen, Lord, for everybody in this room. I pray that this year would be marked that we are a desperate people in prayer. And like I said, when we started this sermon, Lord, I, I long for revival. I long for awakening. I long for renewal in, in, in people and in individuals and in circumstances and in, in marriages, in relationships, at, at workplaces, in the church, in our home gathering. I long for those things to happen, God. The king and his kingdom come and Lord help us to, to pray towards that end and trust you with how you answer. So would you awaken in us this morning a new desire to pray? Because you're, you're our father, because we're your children. Because you listen to us. Because you desire us, you desire it, you invite us to do it, Lord. So do that. I can't, I can't create that desire. May, may you do that in us, Lord. Help us to respond appropriately. In Jesus' name.